You're listening to In These Streets, real conversations about dating as a Christian. Roxana and Adrian are your guides, and they interview people to help you navigate dating as a person of faith. Yeah, it gets hot. Okay. Um, Corey, yes. thanks for We're being so here. Glad you're here. This is so exciting. Hey guys, good I to know. be here. I will admit something. Yeah. Okay, I have to admit this. Having you here, Corey, makes me feel like we have a local celebrity. celebrity. Like it, it does. Yeah. It makes me feel like we're winning. Oh, <laughs> like, guys. Like we're successful and our podcast is successful. So anyway, we're so grateful for you to be here. Um, we're just going to open it up with introductions first. Yeah, we'd yeah. love for you to introduce yourself, who you are, your marital status, your dating status, and how long you were dating in the past. Great. Well, I'm Corey. I'm... Married to Sarah. Sarah and I have been married for over 20 years. I think it'll be 21 years. Wow, congratulations. December. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we met at UVA. Um, we're both actually from Tennessee. She's oh, from Nashville. Wow. I'm from Chattanooga. We met mm. at UVA. Um, I did date um, in high school. I dated a couple of different girls and then um, dated one girl in college before meeting Sarah. I met her when she was a freshman, and I was a sophomore, or as we say at UVA, a second year. Second year. (laughs) I love it. uh, And so, yeah, we started dating um, her second year, my third year. We dated for two years at UVA, and then I moved to England after college, and we had kind of a moment of pretty challenging season in our dating relationship. Nearly broke up. Did break up once or twice. Almost broke up the relationship permanently, and instead we got engaged. Mm. And um, that was over Christmas of her senior year, and then we got married a year later. Um, So, yeah, um, I'm a pastor here in Richmond. We have four daughters, ages 10, 12, 14, and 16. So now, you know, thinking about dating not just uh, for (laughs) people that I pastor, but even (laughs) my own family. And I'm really, really pleased to be here. I'm great admirers of you both. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Okay. So we are going to focus on two main questions. So Roxanne and I are going to focus on just two main questions, but we know that you have had extensive conversations in this topic of dating, especially when it comes to Christian community and just like thinking about it on a deeper level versus on a surface level. So we are definitely going to leave time for that because that's what we know the listeners want to hear. (laughs) Okay. Nice. Um, so our first question, it's okay if you go into some of the things that you've already talked about, but our first question. Yeah, so how do you think individuals in the church should encourage singles as they approach dating so that the burden is not on the church itself, but an individual helping someone or coaching them along the way? Right. Meaning we do not go to your church to meet people. Right. We know they're not there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we so like, yeah, we didn't like, want to call he, that out, but like, want, yeah, we didn't, yeah. To, I didn't, I didn't like, choose a church. To go right. I didn't choose a church to meet somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, um, and this gets into a little bit, I think that we can talk about later, but I, I agree with you. I think it can put a lot of pressure on the individuals and it can put a lot of pressure on a Christian community if the purpose of the Christian community for any one of the singles is seen as potential dating grounds. And so your goal in finding a church is not finding a place where you become a more wise person who is more like Jesus, but you're basically choosing a church based on the potential dating pool. That can be really disillusioning both for the individual and for the church itself and can end up being really destabilizing because you can find, you know, you don't find the right person. So you just kind of drift on to the next church. Um, I think rather the purpose of the church when it comes to dating should be helping to form wise people because ultimately dating is so confusing and so challenging and there are so many incredible conflicts and um, almost impossible challenges that singles face today with dating that it won't work for the church to just provide pools of people who can date each other or even like platitudinous principles to help people date better, but rather to form deeply wise people who can walk in the way of Jesus. Because if you can form people that are wise and you can help them be formed by the values of the kingdom of God, then that will help them in the end find, date, and maybe marry the kind of people that will help them flourish. So I guess what I'm saying is churches should be less focused on creating dating pools and more focused on uh, formation 
mm-hmm. um, informing people who are wise who can make good choices mm-hmm. about other human beings. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And this is the reason why I go to third and the reason why I really enjoy Corey as my pastor is because when you unpack something, I'm like, oh, gosh, I need to like probably like chew on that for a couple of weeks and then like process it. I was like, I can bring my notebook. I should have been prepared. I should know this by now. I should be prepared. But what we like to do is to say, I totally understand what you just said. From a practical standpoint, so I'm gonna, <laughs> we, we, we love to play devil's advocate in here. Yes. From a practical standpoint, somebody's going to be like, somebody's listening, and they're like, yeah, Corey, that's great. Uh, I'm still trying to meet What does that actually mean? Yeah, like what yeah. does that actually look like? Like yeah. I'm still, I, I'm thirsty out here. I'm thirsty. Right, right, <laughs> I'm right, thirsty right, on right. Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Super thirsty. Yeah. So you're like asking me to be more practical? <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say that there's some people who would push back and say, right, that's the ideal. Right. What the reality it's though is is not that. Right. So what we're it, and I'm gonna I know we're gonna get into you probably have some thoughts on this. Um, and there was a relevant article that was put out recently, and especially for women who are approaching middle age, they're leaving the church like in drums, like mm. the, in in big massive mm-hmm. groups, mm-hmm. and it is centered around being single. Yeah. Um, yeah. and not being seen. So, yeah. what you just explained is the ideal. Right. The reality is there's a lot of people who are in different places of their faith journey where this is the common denominator amongst them that is just putting them in a, str- in a struggle. And that's right. not just like Roxanne and I's story because I think we've made some progress on that. But I would say if like for men and women, we just hear it repeatedly. When you, when you get through everything, when people are like just struggling, when you get through everything, we boil down to I'm single. I'm single and I don't. And I'm frustrated, and right. it's affecting my faith. Totally. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I don't, I have not been single for a really long time, and I have not been single in this particular era that we live in, which is hugely complicated. And there, I think there are so many things that make dating incredibly challenging right now. I mean, not there's, there's the, uh, what's called the second demographic transition. Have you, mm. got, have you heard that Mm-mm. before? Explain it's that a first. sociological term. It basically refers to the trend in modern societies in which people delay marriage and childbearing yes. Yes. more and more. So like in the past 35 years, I don't have these in my head. I'm looking at a piece of paper here. Um, the number of independent female households has grown by 65%. The number of independent male households has grown by 120% just in the last 35 years. Median age of marriage has risen from 21 for women and 23 for men in 1970 to, I think it's 30 for women today and 33 for men, which is the highest figure the Census Bureau has ever collected. I mean, that impacts dating, it impacts career, it impacts socialization pressure, pressure against marrying young, pressures to succeed Mm -hmm. in your career. On top of that, especially for women, there's changed gender roles. I mean, I, I am an evangelical feminist. I believe deeply in the empowerment of women and the importance of careers for them. But let's just say, let's just be honest. Yeah. Let, let's just be honest. Like it also makes incredible complications, especially for women. Um, Gosh, Corey, I'm so glad that you brought that up. We've, we've tried to dive into it so many times. Yeah. And, I mean like yeah. uh, as women pursue careers, they become, you know, distracted from dating, especially when we have a problem of adolescent men in their twenties who don't know how to date and aren't prepared to commit to anything. And so what often happens, especially in the Christian community, is that women are increasingly seen as independent and career-driven and sometimes even selfish. And men are increasingly seen as like adolescent and passive and weak. This guy, Todd Hertz, who's a sociologist, said women haven't remained single because they're too independent. They've had to grow more and more independent because the dating drought has left them single. We just High talked five. about and, this recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, like, you if know, I didn't work, I'd be in a ditch. Yeah. Well, and then, the, and then, like, the disappearing opportunities for dating, and this is why online dating has become like now. It used to be like you. So many my parents met at work, mm. you know, and the early 1970s. Well, nowadays, like, you're discouraged from dating anybody at work, right. you know, because of all sorts of problems that can result. And so, you know, the opportunities to find a potential partner, a potential spouse, are fewer and fewer. I think, especially in the Christian community, it can be really confusing because. The secular community sees dating as like p- pretty purely recreational and it's 
it used to be in the Christian community because sex is still linked to marriage and it's seen as deeply driven towards permanent commitment. Mm -hmm. And so you've also got like men who are afraid to ask women out because they think that they're going to be thinking about marriage. And so they don't ask women. In fact, I know a lot of Christian women, I don't know if this is the case for you two, who mostly get asked out by non-Christian men because they (laughs) are just more comfortable with dating than Christian men because Christian men are passive and terrified, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. (laughs) And and to touch on one thing that you were just saying, and I know we touched touched on this in the intimacy episode, but um, also there is more, uh, how do I say this? There's more inappropriate sexual behavior happening or being suggested amongst Christian couples. And I'll just share my experience. This is the second time I'm going to say this, but I've been asked for that kind of stuff from Christian men more than Mm. secular men. So there's also that. So there's the assumption that we're all waiting until marriage, but the reality of it is the pressure is is more within the Christian community. Totally. And that's only... The pressure has become only more so because of what I talked about earlier, the second demographic transition that right. is, right. you know, postponing the age of marriage later and later and later. It just makes the sexual pressure all the more intense. Right. So I guess I, I guess the reason I bring all those difficulties up is because I don't know what to do. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> so, you know, you challenged me and said, is what you're saying earlier realistic? Right. Um, I don't know other than I think that Christian churches have to be willing to talk about this stuff. And I'm guilty because I don't very often. But we, we have to talk, be willing to talk about this stuff, and we have to um, be willing to help Christian singles navigate these cultural waters that they're swimming in and talk explicitly about them. Because it's like you guys, like we were talking about earlier, it's not just that you're trying to, like, find someone to date or find a spouse. There's all of these... Um, hidden assumptions, hidden barriers, conflicts that are all, you know, present. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, the, the finding the right person is just the tip of the iceberg. You're having to deal with all of these cultural right. complications and pressures that are under the surface. And those are the things that the church doesn't talk about very much. It's just that grandma says, when are you going to find a nice boy? <laughs> Grandma's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. More than grandma. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, hate, I hate to call you out, mom, but my mom's like, pick somebody. Just yeah. walk out on the street and pick yeah. somebody. Anyway, yeah. it, that's a good segue into our second question because when you talk about like all of those things underneath the tip of the iceberg, one of those things that's underneath that I think is a little heavy um, is this thing about who we think are the right options or the right people for us. And we use the word, this is going to be so offensive, so just as a warning, we use the word pedigree. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is this person coming from the right pedigree? And I think that that's that's always been a case. It might even been a bigger case, like, in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and stuff. Like, it depended on, like, what kind of family you came from and are you marrying into the right family and all of that. But then it's still happening today in 2021, just in a different way, And what we have found, Roxanne and I, is that, and this is completely anecdotal, but we feel like it happens in Christian community even more than the secular community, that we still hold on to this ideal that you're supposed to be marrying a certain person. And again, when we say pedigree, we don't necessarily mean just like social, I mean, um, economic status. Right. We mean social status, and that could even be spiritual status. I totally get it, what you're saying. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think... I think that the it's it's weird because it's almost like there's um, there's all this like out in the culture. I, we were talking about this earlier before we started, but there's a, there's a deep conflict about marriage in the broader secular culture. There is this profound secularism and cynicism when it comes to marriage. You know, over fifty percent of marriages end in divorce. Yeah. The cover of Time magazine is marriage is even necessary anymore. There's a deconstruction of it as a cultural institution. Um, you know, sex is no longer seen as linked to marriage. And so, you know, you can continue to have sex and have babies without the institution of marriage. So there's profound cynicism about it. But at the same time, there's like this deep traditionalism and romanticism about marriage so that you have these like romantic comedies. I mean, right now, like watch the Hallmark Channel. Like every single movie is about... This is the month. Yeah, yeah this, this is, is the it. month. Yeah. Like every, you cannot watch, you cannot turn on any station without watching some stu- silly, sappy, romantic... Yeah, yeah. 
story about guy meeting girl and you can script it, right? Yeah. So love actually. It's like yeah. every do everything wrong and have everything still work out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so there's like like this deep conflict with like, oh, I don't need marriage. But at the same time, I desperately need marriage right. to make my heart, my whole life whole, you know? Mm. And it's almost like the Christian community has, like, rejected the first the, the first idea that, you know, marriage is is no longer necessary. Said, no. But they've, like, wholesale embraced the second. Yeah. That not only does marriage, not only has God created marriage and marriage good, but it has to be, like, the most amazing marriage in the universe. And I need to find the most perfect person who is my soulmate that I can, um, you know, be one with forever. Mm-hmm. I do think that um, there was a really interesting article in Christianity Today a few years ago. I wish that I had brought it or had it referenced, but it, it talked about how, why it's okay to not marry your best friend and how it used to be that um, marriage was, you know, fairly pragmatic. Mm-hmm. You marry someone that works for you and that works for your family and where you have a common vision for life. But it's okay if they're not like they don't c- complete you, right. and it's okay if they're not your best friend because we're made for not just one person, but we're made for multiple people, and you can have your needs met in various different ways, not just a husband or not just a wife. But over time, and especially within the Christian community, so much pressure has developed around this person that you marry that it's almost like they have to fulfill every single need that you have in your life: emotional, economic. Uh, socio-communal, religious, everything, all of your needs have to be fulfilled in this one person. And what this author was saying is, actually, it's not true. It's okay to marry someone um, where all of your needs aren't met, and you still have to have some of those needs fulfilled in other places. And I I can say that that's the truth for... I mean, Sarah is my best friend, Mm -hmm. but, um, but there's ways that she doesn't understand me, and we've been married for over 20 years, and there's ways I don't understand her, and we both have deep friendships and ways that we find fulfillment for our lives in other ways outside of our of our marriage and that's necessary. So that's a really long-winded question, a long-winded answer to get to your question. Um, I think in some ways it might be helpful to um, I don't want to like I don't want to like say that like you can marry anybody um, <laughs> because I don't think you can. <laughs> but I do think that Christians should destroy the myth a little bit that you have to find this like perfect person of the perfect pedigree. I love the Stanley Harawas quote. Has anybody quoted Stanley Harawas in your podcast so far? He says, the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This overlooks the crucial concept and fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Mm -hmm. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or if we first marry the right person, just give a little while he or she will change for marriage being the thing that it is means that we are not the same person even after we have entered it. I personally have found that to be true. Yeah. And so what I think is you find a person that you're compatible with, that you can commit to, that you can do life with, you have a common vision for life and that someone that you trust. Um, But in the end, you have to know that you're going to be deeply disappointed by this person. At some point along the way. Yeah. Um, and to deconstruct some of that mythology, I think, is something that the Christian community needs to do. Does that make sense? What I'm and Corey, I think you've shared before, and it wasn't you, but you were quoting somebody, and they said, oh, I've been married to my wife for 30 years, but she's been with five other men. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a psychologist. Um, uh, I've forgotten his name, but he says, my wife and I have been married for 25 years. Uh, no, he sa- he said, my wife has been married to five different men over the 25 years of our marriage, basically that, um, that people, we change. I mean, I, I can think of ways that, um, I have just changed in, in significant ways. And Sarah has changed in significant ways. And this is what makes Christian marriage, I think, so distinct and so beautiful is that when you stand up to make a covenant with a person, you're not saying to them, I, Corey, take you, Sarah, because you're hot mm-hmm. or because you complete me or because I feel really good right now marrying you. But everything that you're saying is that you're making a promise about a future state and a future commitment. I promise to be this person towards you regardless of what happens, mm-hmm. which is very terrifying, you know, to make a commitment of future love to somebody when you don't know what's going to happen. But at the same time, I don't know what else can hold two people together. Because you you do change so much, and because sure. so many things do happen, so 
it's just a balance. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be attracted to the person or you shouldn't. <laughs> Must. Yeah, yeah. Of course you should be physically yeah. attracted. Yeah. Of course you should have compatibility. Yeah. But at, cer- at a certain point, it does involve a leap of faith, mm-hmm. knowing that your marriage is grounded not in compatibility and physical attractiveness because one day you will both be ugly and shriveled and incompatible. But sure. then- <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. Not me, though. <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm going to look like this when I'm 90. Yeah. <laughs> me um but it does bring up Corey this is it brings up you know one of these like deeper things and I want to also just apologize in advance we have had other pastors on our podcast that's okay I forgive you okay (laughs) and we always we always say this we say you're getting the harder questions so just just know great we might throw a a bad one at you (laughs) okay The, the reality of it is and like we've talked a little bit about this is that is when you say that, we recognize that there are some things, like you brought up attraction. There are some things that play into, I'm getting into the psychology now, there are things that play into how we find someone attractive. Or like, and again, it goes back to that pedigree com- uh, comment, or whether we like think somebody's compatible with us. So when you said, I'm going to go back to that comment when you said, if, we, if somebody I can do life with, somebody I can build a future with, that I'm like, oh, we can plan something together. Again, I'm going back to like the reality so going back to the fact that you, there are certain things that play into whether we're attracted to someone. Some For some of us, for some of my friends, they got married before their brain fully developed, right? So mm-hmm. they're like, mm-hmm. so you said like, oh, I'm not supposed to be like walking down the aisle and looking this person in the eye and being like, I'm marrying you because you're hot. But I'm like, oh, if I married who I was dating at 23, I'm like, I'm marrying him because he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> you're hot. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I, have, I was not thinking at right, all. right if we were going to build a future together, any of that. So not to give you the really loaded question, but I'm going to give it to you. Great. Okay. Give it to me. Um, is that's fine. Like, again, it's an ideal, mm. but like a lot of us are going into it saying how much of this like external things are affecting the way that we are choosing someone and we're delaying marriage because we're still saying, no, Corey, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing exactly what you said. I did not find somebody who's compatible with me. I have not found somebody who I can plan a future with. But what, but the argument that you're making is, is like, there's probably 15 of those people in the room. How are you determining those factors? And is that delaying you from getting married? Right, right. Well, look, I, again, I, I just, every single thing I want to say I want to say with great humility because I don't know what it's like to be a single woman. Mm. I don't know what it's like to be... Or a single man. Or, or a single man. Yeah. Um, because I haven't actually been a single man in a really, really long time. And so I, I don't want to act like I know it all. I, I probably need to be asking you guys questions and be learning from you here. Okay, I just want to really make that, that clear. <laughs> um, so it's a balance, right? Because, like, on the one hand, um, I do think that as Christians, we should have a different concept of attraction. Yes, physical attraction is part of it. Mm-hmm. It always is. That's the way God made us. It's right. not wrong to want to be physically attracted to someone that you marry. Like, that's just part of the way that God designed and made us. At the same time, as Christians, part of the way that it means to follow Jesus and to be formed like Jesus and to be full of the Holy Spirit is for your, you, that you begin to change internally what you find attractive. Mm. So, I mean, I'll remember, I can remember um, one of the things, I can remember being at a, actually one of the first times I was really drawn to Sarah, we were at a, a like a party. It was like a Greek sorority party or something. Um, I hate parties. <laughs> I'm a big introvert. But what I noticed is that Sarah was um, was not in the center of the room. She was in the margins of the room. And she was really popular. She was like in the most popular sorority and cute and all this. But she was, she had, she was always had eyes for the person that was on the outside. So mm-hmm. she was finding the, the person that was alone. She was finding the person that was awkward. She was finding the person that was dejected for some reason. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, who is that? Like, why is she doing that? And so... I found myself, I would hope to say, because of the Holy Spirit in me, being attracted to something about her that I would say is not typically on your list of what makes a person attractive, at least if you Not at 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I think as Christians, like we find that um, some of the things like the fruits of the spirit, kingdom values, like alignment with justice and the poor, uh, there, there are things that I think are countercultural. So we should tend to have like, I think we should look to see Christians foster countercultural forms of what you're attracted to and who you're attracted to. Mm. So I guess that's where I would just offer a slight challenge is that our, when we're looking for someone that we're attracted to, when we're looking for someone as a potential mate, can you look past the surface of things and actually ask God to form a deep sense of attraction in us that is formed by his kingdom and his kingdom values and his fruit of the spirit more than anything else? Now, that being said, I still think that you're probably right, that even if you, based on that principle, you're still going to have a dearth you're still going to have a shallow pool. <laughs> you're still going to have a lack of candidates. Yeah. And I don't know what to tell you about that. I mean, I do think that online dating has helped that, to be honest, <laughs> because it's helped. I mean, I, I, I do think it's, it's helped find uh, mm-hmm. more people than, than at least 10 years ago. Um, and this is, I guess, where, and I, I, know, I, don't, I know you don't want me to say this, but I also think that, that we also need to have a better theology of singleness as well in the church so that we, I think it's really hard to be a single person in a, in a traditional church mm. in a place like Richmond that is full of married families and where this concept of uh, being a married family with kids is held up even implicitly as the ultimate model of right. life rather than to promote singleness itself as a good so that in the time as you're looking for a spouse, you're not feeling totally demoralized and defeated about yourself, like you're somehow not fulfilling what it means to be human. So I don't know. I don't know That's helpful. how to offer help. Here. I just thought about two more questions. But yeah. in, Roxana, do you want to ask the question that we were thinking about as it relates to like gender roles? Gender and, roles? And the oh, change, my and gosh. The, and the change in yeah. that? Before I get, because I'm like, Corey, what you just said, like, made me think of, like, two more deep questions that I had. Go (laughs) for it. Okay. Um, So before we get into, well, let me ask the gender role question, because I do think, and Corey, you touched on this a little bit, but I do think you probably have some more extensive thoughts around this, is that in 2021, um, I'm going to speak for women first, but but also Roxana and I did not create this podcast to drag dudes. So I'm Mm -hmm. I'm, Mm going to try my best to give the male perspective on this also. Gender roles are very different today than they have been 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Or even 10 years ago. Yeah, even yeah. 10 years ago. And so within Christian community, a lot of what we see is somebody saying, hey, as a woman, you have chosen to be selfish or you're not really looking for a guy. Those are like the common things you hear. Mm. I think the things that like are said in secret are, I don't think men are, attra- I don't think men are attracted to that. Mm. Um, and I think they're attracted gonna- to what? Or, or like, um, attracted to a woman who's pursuing a career. That's yeah, why yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Well, Roxanne yeah. remembers now. Yeah, because <laughs> we've had so many conversations yes. about <laughs> of like independent women right. that men in the church right. may not find that attractive. But for Adrian and I, we've had to be independent, right? Because we've not been married yet. Right. Yeah, and I think so. Speaking for women, and then I'm going to try to speak for men. So speaking for women, we would say the, the misconception is. I have to be independent or I'd be in a, the joke is I'd be in a ditch. Like I can't make $14,000. So when you right. say, Hey, like you're making a good amount of money. Like, do you want to get married? It's so offensive to us. Cause we're like, what does the money have to do with it? Yeah. And if I didn't make that m- amount of money, I'm just going to reveal my age now. I'll probably cut this out later. <laughs> I'm in my late thirties. I'm 38 years old. I'm like, if I weren't making a certain amount of money, Corey, you would look at me and be like, so what have you been doing? <laughs> right? Like, right, right. you know, have you, have you just been coasting? I mean, that's probably, the Lord's given you some gifts and some skills. Are you using them to your full potential? And so, but, but we have been told, oh, well, you're getting up to a certain net worth or you, like I chose to buy a house. Adrian, you're making some moves where are men going to find you attractive? Now, very quickly to give what I think might be the male perspective, but Corey, you tell me if I'm wrong from meeting with so many men who are probably single. 
the other part of it is, is that there's a lot of men out there saying, hey, this is not healthy because you're asking me. So for the women out there who might not get go for the job or they're kind of waiting and they're just every year they're like, I'm not going to take on too much because mm-hmm. I just want to be mm-hmm. prepared yeah. to do, you yeah. know, go into this marriage and do whatever this guy wants yeah. me to be. And the man's like, hey, that's unfair to me because it sounds like you want me to be God mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's also not healthy. And I'm not signing up for that because uh, I don't plan on being God. So right. yeah, I expect you to be, have done something. <laughs> so not totally. to drag men and say, oh, you're just so intimidated by us independent women. But there's also on the other end of the spectrum, there's dudes who are like, I'm, I'm just as concerned about that woman who seems like she's waiting for me mm-hmm. to fulfill mm-hmm. something in her life that I think God should probably mm-hmm. have fulfilled by now. Yeah. I mean, this gets back to the stuff we were saying earlier about uh, the, this huge... So we've had this huge cultural shift, the second demographic tr- uh, transition, where women are encouraged because of because of the feminist movement, because of the changes in post-modernity and the culture that we're living in. We have these huge cultural shifts that encourage women to pursue careers and to postpone marriage. But at the same time, when you, in the Christian community, it's so hard because it's overladen with these traditional, this traditional vision of marriage and what women should be. And so it creates incredible conflict, especially for Christian women. Um, and like that, that guy that I quoted earlier, like it's not that women um, choose to be independent, it's that they are forced to become independent because of the cultural shifts and because of the drought, you know, that is out there when it comes to candidates for marriage. And then you combine that with something we haven't really talked about, which you may have talked about, but you said you didn't want to drag men, this like prolonged adolescence of men that a lot of men aren't even marriage material in the, until they're... In the their Peter 30s. Pan so, yeah, the Peter Pan syndrome. I mean, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. Know, it's so hard. I mean, I do, I have never really thought about this before, but one thing I do think that could help with this is by recovering, like, what I think is a truly biblical understanding of marriage and the gender roles. Now, I'm, I, I'm, I, I want to be careful because what I'm about to say is not necessarily the shared Christian view. I'm, okay. I'm what's called an egalitarian. So mm-hmm. within the church, there's, Complementarian churches and egalitarian churches. And complementarian churches understand the New Testament to be upholding strict gender roles so that men are always the leaders both in the home and in the world and in the church, and women are always sort of as the the helpers. There's a partnership there, but it's a complementary. So women have different complementary roles than men. Personally, I believe that the Bible upholds a view of what um, Carolyn Custis James called the Blessed Alliance, so that we only are fully whole and only fully human when men and women are partnering together in partnership, both in marriage and in the world and in the church. And that means men and women are equal. They are uh, they have equal roles, equal callings, just as much dignity, just as much responsibility. I, I do think that if we could deconstruct, I think that complementarian view is still in the water, mm-hmm. still in the culture when it comes to dating as well. And so, yeah, maybe it's true that if a if a man has grown up with that concept of the way that male and female relationships work in the church and the world and the home, and he sees this like strong independent woman who's pursuing a career and who is a leader and who is a person of great influence in their community and who owns a house and has a dog and drives a nice car and all this, it's like whoa, this is like this is like deeply conflicting with the, the this suppressed understanding of the way that gender roles should function in my life. And so maybe we need to do some deconstruction of that of that complementarian gender idea mm-hmm. because I think it's affecting marriage too. It's affecting men's under it's affecting the the way that men are seeing women, and more and more women like yourselves are really powerful and independent. Sure, um, I will also just add, and maybe you can make some comments on this. Is that like. Even as it relates to, because Roxanne and I talk a lot about how this is not just about dating, but it's also about um, our relationship with Christ and how we're being discipled, how we're seeking out discipleship and all of that. There's a part of this where it's it's related to a man's holiness, too. So it's like he's thinking in his mind, well, I can't fulfill what I believe the Lord is calling me to fulfill by marrying you. It is not necessary. This is, this is the part where I don't want to drag men. Right, right. It's not necessarily that I'm looking at you and saying like, I'm intimidated or I need to control you. And I happen to be, I'm not complimentarian, um, but it, not 
honing in on that piece too much to say, like, there's some men where I'm like, I don't necessarily think that you're saying I need to dominate you or I need to be in charge or I need to lead. I think it's just the church, and I don't even want to blame this on the church. The impression that I have is that in order to be more holy and in order to, to achieve or to grow in my faith, when I seek out marriage, because I believe that marriage was created by God, I'm also thinking that that's what I'm supposed to be doing in a marriage. So when I see you doing that, I just think, oh, I can't achieve holiness with you. It's not even that I need you to submit or do less. It's just, that's just, that's what they're feeling. And so- but Why do you think they feel that way? I don't know, Roxana. Why do you think why, they why, that way? Well, I guess another way, why would, a, why would a woman who is successful and has a career and who has an established life- why would that make a man feel like that I can't achieve the kind of the I can't be the kind of person this husband of holiness or mm-hmm. character that I need to be married to this particular person I think it goes back to I have a lot of thoughts on this I think it goes back to healthy men that I've known that I'm friends with will say you need to you need to develop a stronger relationship with Christ he's who you're depending on so for the men who are not approaching dating that way, they would say, I am not trying to dominate. I, I, I am not looking for a woman to submit. And by the way, if you are waiting for me to do that, I, I think some men, not to call them out, but I think some men do believe that they've been taught that they should operate as a mini god mm. within their yeah. family. Ephesians so, 5 is, is yes. often distorted to be that, yes. that way. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be, and so that's what's making them feel like that that's my representation of Mm. um, a strong relationship with Christ and that I'm, I'm starting to get it, whatever getting it Mm. is. And that as I approach marriage, this is what I'm supposed to be signing up for is to become like a mini God for my family. Yeah. So there's, and this is very much complementary. And so I'm glad that Corey brought it up and I didn't have to bring it up, (laughs) but it's like, there's God, then there's me, then then there's there's you, and then there's our kids. Um, And you're kind of like, you're really close to the line with our kids. Right. (laughs) Woman, you are real close. Like right there, right there, right there, right there. You know what I mean? So I think that that's what I'm saying when I've, right. Not to make it about complementary, like not to make it about that, but when I've, when I've met healthy guys dating, they they are turned they're just as turned off by some right. woman trying to operate right. as God in her own life. But if you actually like were hearing it as a first century person, it is radical and countercultural and rupturous. I mean he is giving women powerful agency and dignity in that passage. And he's basically saying like you have as much responsibility in this relationship as the man does. And the way he opens the whole passage is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so like if a guy goes into a mar- goes into a dating or marriage relationship saying can I be a mini Jesus in this relationship and help my wife to become the person that she needs to be? Oh my gosh, how terrible would that be both for the man and for her, right? Right. Um, But think how different it would be if two people go in saying, we are each called to be the person of Christ for one another. Like we're we're each, we're, we're both sinners. We're both screwed up. We're both broken. We both have trauma in our stories. We both have things and baggage that we're carrying. So... Let's go into this marriage believing that God has called us to one another to be agents of sanctification, agents of formation for one another so that, you know, God wants to use me, Sarah, in your life. And Sarah says, God wants to use me in your life, Corey. And we're on this long journey together, and we're going to be in this ongoing process of discipleship, um, spiritual maturation. Um, and it's, it's not, it's a total mutual experience. It's not like one person having greater power power over the other. And that can inform dating too because as you're dating someone, you're saying, okay, this, this person is screwed up just like everybody else, but does this person's particular ways that they're screwed up, do I think that I can call to these this particular <laughs> this particular screw up. Like, do I feel like that God has gifted me with what I need to help this person grow into the likeness of Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, Does your garbage smell similar yeah. to my garbage? Yes, exactly, or Adrian. They, or do they compliment yes, each other? Yes. Like, like a wine, you know, <laughs> to a nice, really, yeah, yeah, wine pairing. You're like, is your garbage, is your garbage Merlot yeah. work really well with my garbage stick? Does it, <laughs> they work? I think these work. Yes, they work together. Yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. So we have 
sort of a final question, um, but again, it's a little bit loaded. Yeah. We we know that you meet with a lot of folks. No, this is this is related to all of this. We know that you meet with a lot of folks, and so we came into this episode. And I know you said, hey, I probably should be asking you guys the questions. And you're welcome to ask us some questions. But we came into this saying, hey, Corey, what, do you, what would you want us as singles to be thinking deeper about and to be contemplating um, based on some of the conversations that you've had? And I'm going to add this piece to it. The reason why I'm without, obviously, because we don't say people's names or whatever and all that, without diving into who the person is. The reason why this is so important is because these conversations happen in, in secret or just with one or two other people. And it's not something that people talk about amongst the entire community. But right. we think it's the reason why we did this podcast is because we're like, we want this to be more broadcasted mm. so that other people feel like, gosh, I was just talking about that with my mentor the other day. I'm not alone in mm. this. And yeah. we think that just yeah. that acknowledgement or just that not knowledge of not being an alone mm-hmm. will provide some hope for yeah. folks who yeah. are, this is really challenging. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things that you would say, hey, these are some of the stuff that I talk about maybe in some of these private conversations um, that I think more singles should be thinking about as they approach dating, as they approach singleness, as they maybe approach marriage? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... A lot of it are some of the things that we've already talked about. I mean, the first, I think, is not seeing, and I know this sounds a little counterintuitive to what you're asking me, but not seeing, sing, I think it begins with not seeing singleness as a curse, mm-hmm. but um, seeing it as a calling for however long or for however short God calls you into that. I just, I think that is, continues to be in the church that marriage is held up as like the highest model and the highest example. And if you're not married, you're some sort of second class citizen who should have a lot of time to work in the nursery or something like that. Right. Um, and or so for a dude, you should be serving. Yeah. Greeter. Exactly. Yeah. So it just, you got it just, years of greeting, dude. So, so I think, I think one of the first ways that the church can be healthier is by seeing singleness as a beautiful calling, just as beautiful as marriage. And so the church is a place where it's not just lots of married people with single people that they're trying to get married but that we're a, a, a community of people who have all different vocations, all different callings, both married and single callings, and that we're all sufficient in the calling that Jesus has given us and that we're all seeking to follow him together and all have special responsibility in that work. So I think one of the things that we can do is just like elevate singleness and, and that maybe can help people feel a little healthier and not as alarmed within that state. So that's, that's one thing. Um, Another thing is, I think, what what we already just talk, talked about, and that is helping people to rethink the what it means to, how, how our commitment to Jesus and our participation in his kingdom should shape who we're looking for mm. to marry, mm-hmm. um, the way that our sense of attraction is formed, what kind, I think that it means also demythologizing marriage a little bit and helping. I think that if I've actually found it to be really helpful when married couples are more honest about their struggles. I think that if more married couples were honest about how painful marriage can be, how difficult marriage can be, how challenging, um, first of all, it might encourage you to be more patient about getting married because you can see how challenging it is. But it also helps you realize like, okay, maybe the person that I'm looking for isn't, is different than the one that I thought that I needed. Um, Because as married couples are more honest and more, um, I think, transparent about what marriage is really like, it can help form, it can help other people form a more realistic and um, picture of what a marriage, what, what what an ideal marriage partner could be. So I guess more transparency and more truth-telling. And then, gosh, I, I mean, I know that you would expect me to say this as a pastor, but realizing that um, that ultimate satisfaction is only in Jesus. I know that sounds like kind of like simplistic, but it's true for single person. It's true in married life. I know a lot of unhappy married people. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I know a lot more unhappy married people. It's really hard to say that, but it's true. And I think both wherever stage you're in, like learning to find your 
deepest satisfaction in the person of Jesus and cultivating an intimacy in your relationship with him gives power for whatever calling you're in, whether it's the single life, whether it's the married life. Um, it's just hard to be human. And it's really hard to be human, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're single or married. And Jesus is the very best companion for mm. this journey. So I guess that's what I would say. That's great. We talked about so much. Is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't already cover? Not really. I, I feel like I've been terribly unhelpful. <laughs> you have <laughs> no, not. But no, so this is so good. I, um, I can't wait to listen to your podcast yeah. so that I can learn. I mean, I guess one question yeah, that I would want to throw back to you us. guys is, <laughs> You're how, scared. Do you, how do you think, how do you guys think that churches, especially churches like Third, that are that are more traditional churches that have a lot of married couples and families, how can churches become more supportive and empowering and encouraging communities for singles? <clears throat> so, you know, we said this in the past, Roxana and I have a great relationship because a lot of times whatever we're talking about, we're coming from <laughs> completely different perspectives. We also happen to look very different. And so it's like everything is like yin, yin, yang. Okay, um, I'm going to go first. I don't think that churches should... I don't think the burden should be on churches for that. Um, and that's just coming from my own personal experience. I have not, when I first moved to Richmond, I joined a church with my current boyfriend at that time. And so I have never experienced f- trying to find a church in order to meet someone. And I was in my early 20s then. And so even after we broke up, I didn't then think, oh gosh, I need to now find a church so I can go f- meet my next boyfriend. Right. I came from the perspective of like, I need to find a church because like, where does the Lord call me to serve, to be disciple? Where can I get be, be refined and all of that? And so I just, I come from the perspective where I'm like, I don't, I don't think you should be going to church to find that. Now, when it comes to the individuals within the church, so I'm, I'm separating them as like organization right. and organism. Right. I do think that we need to do a better job of like discipling each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear a lot. Like for me personally, I don't hear a lot of folks tell me, how can I grow in my faith that doesn't involve preparing for marriage? Mm -hmm. So where I've Mm -hmm. been offended is I'm like, I'm actually not looking for that. And the conversation, and maybe people are like, hey, Adrian, you're getting older. You're choosing a career path that feels like, do you want to get married? <laughs> like, And so maybe people are saying it to me in particular. But But what I find is I'm like, yeah, you know what? I want to get into a deeper discipleship relationship with you and I want to be refined. And, you know, I know that there's things that the Lord has shown you that, that he probably needs to show me. And somehow the conversation goes back to, yeah. And, and then we're like praying together. And then that person will be like, yeah, and I'm just, and I'm prepare, prepare Adrian's husband. <laughs> and I'm like, it always comes back to that. My, my friend, I, but by my friend, yeah. I'm like, we're in the middle of prayer. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so for me, I'm like, and this, this I don't, is, I don't yeah. hear that a lot. I yeah. don't know. And this is why I, what I was saying is that I think one of the best ways that churches can support singles is by discipling other people who aren't single about what a truly robust kingdom-oriented community should be like, which means not treating marriage like it's an idol, but treating you, Adrian, mm-hmm. you, Roxana, as the complete person that you already are mm-hmm. in Christ, right? I'm so sorry for the way that that's... Well, I think we're used to it at this point. Um, And you might have a different perspective, but just to add on that before you give kind of your perspective on like, should the church be helping us out or whatever? um, The other piece of that is, is, so yes, we should be discipling folks so that marriage isn't the pinnacle or the the thing that we're trying to achieve. But I think also um, there's a piece of it where I'm like, what if I'm called to singleness? Is that threatening? For the church. So I've never thought about leaving the church. I've always been like, I don't know if I'm cool with what's happening right now or the way this is structured, but I never want to leave the body of Christ. And I feel like the Lord has just like blessed me by being like, hey, Adrian, I'm going to remind you of all the hard things where if you didn't have me, you'd be in a ditch, right? Mm. So I've never wanted to leave the body of Christ, but I've been tempted to be like, I, am I, am I slowly becoming, what did our friend say, a spinster? <laughs> like, Am I, become, am I becoming more of a threat to the church versus a helpful member of the body of Christ? Mm-hmm. That part mm-hmm. I do struggle with. Mm-hmm. 
So if I don't get married anytime soon, and I've said this to Roxana, like at this point I'm desperado. I'm only desperado because I want to be a significant member of the body of Christ. But so, you don't have to be a significant, you don't have to be married to be a significant no, member no, of the I body totally, of Christ. No, no, I totally get it. But what I'm trying to say is when we think about the church as an institution, am I slowly becoming more of a threat than a significant member of the body of because Christ. you're a single woman in your late 30s with a successful career yeah I, well uh no maybe not even that just just not married even if mm. I didn't have all the other things I'm just not married so it's like either like the marriage Corey we're, you know we always get really into it the marriages that are struggling we're walking around as single women and women are like find somebody <laughs> okay or the dude's like hey you guys you guys whether it's that that's the threat or whether the threat is we are more of a complementarian mm-hmm. environment, so there's no leadership opportunities mm-hmm. for you. Like, so mm-hmm. what else are you going to do if you don't want to be in the nursery? Like, right, trying right. to figure out what else, what other purpose yeah. you have. Yeah. Um, or the threat is, hey, <laughs> Roxanne and I have been like, other women are like, so you need to either state that you're that you are going to live a life of single, <laughs> or you need to let us know yeah. that you're also looking because at this point we're now competition. The dude just walked oh my in. Gosh. The dude that just walked in, Adrian, is he I your ha- type? I have experienced no? a little bit of that. <laughs> that's so, that's so, true. so there's three different types of right. threats and right. all of that's happening. And so then that makes somebody like me who's in their late thirties feel like, do I belong here? Yeah. Right. But don't you think one of the ways that the church can do that, especially churches that are egalitarian is by actually empowering women who aren't married and who are um, really good. Like, for example, this Sunday, Jennifer Parham is preaching. Mm-hmm. She's Love Jennifer. 50. She's single. She's a very successful lawyer. Mm-hmm. She's an elder in our church. So by having someone like her as a key leader in preacher in the church, I'm hoping that that, this is not why I asked her to preach, but one of the things that that does is communicate. You don't have to be a, sp- a specific kind of person have value in the church. Maybe that just in one small way can relieve some of that pressure mm-hmm. so that you're not feeling like you're a threat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Is that? It does. Uh-huh. What's your, t- what's your take? Yeah. What's your take, Roxana? Um, I too don't think it should be the burden of the church, but I feel surprisingly well-connected at third. So I will say my group that I hang out with, my friends who know me, I call them my ladies. They're like 50 plus, some are 60 plus, there's one that's 70 plus, but I feel like I'm in good community with them. And they're never, the conversation is not always or sometimes ever around dating, but it's just about life and work and family. And so I feel great. I did not choose third to meet somebody. Right. No offense. Right. As you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I do know there are, there have been churches that I've been to in the past where it's like they really target singles to serve. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's because, you know, you're not married, you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. What else are you doing with your life? Um, but there is one church I'm thinking of in particular where they actually really encourage couples with children into child care, then you should consider serving the next service in child mm-hmm. care mm-hmm. to kind of balance that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't, when I think of it, I don't think of it specific as to church as the organization, but when I think of it, I think it's more isolating when it's, like I'm not part of their family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So maybe we should end there. Gosh, Corey, this was so great. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. I, we're running out of time, so... I know we're going to have an episode, two, like a part two of this. Yes. Um, in season two. But Corey, thank you so much thank for being you. here. Thank you. I know. Be here.